Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every week, we descend into Room 106, the purgatory in which professionals encounter all new planning information and extract the key things that you need to know. This is a bonus edition in which we'll be exploring the key intelligence for planners that emerged from the party political conferences. But before we get on to that, John, tell us about the key news stories from the past seven days. Thanks, Richard. I know you're going to be covering the Labour conference in depth later on, so here are the most important non-conference stories from the past week. Firstly, the government's chief planner, Joanna Averley, in a letter to councils, has confirmed that new guidance on biodiversity net gain, including the statutory biodiversity metric for calculating the requirement, will be issued next month. Elsewhere, a 350-home scheme on the edge of an Oxfordshire village has been refused permission by the Housing Minister, Rachel McLean, in a recovered appeal decision. She found that despite the local authority's housing land supply shortfall, there was a fundamental conflict between the proposal and a neighbourhood plan policy restricting countryside development. And finally, the area of land designated as Greenbelt in England has expanded for the second year in a row, according to new data released by the government on Greenbelt release in local plans. It shows that the um, total area of Greenbelt grew by a total of 860 hectares in 2022-23 to reach the highest level in over 20 years. Okay, well, many thanks, John. And of course, more details on each of those stories can be found on planningresource.co.uk. So now to return to Room 106 for our deep dive. See you later, John. Don't forget your hard hat. Well, here I am in room 106 again. Now, this week, I need to go to the cathedral-like cavern where all the party conference proposals are collected in huge hoppers prior to being sifted for inclusion in election manifestos. Ah, here it is. Now, there's a ladder leaning up against the red hopper. If I climb up, I suspect I'll find our online editor, Toby Porter, who spent last week at the Labour Party conference... Ah, hello, Toby. Hello, Richard. So, Labour's conference seems to have homed in on housing as a key battleground in the next general election. What sort of promises has Sakir Starmer made? Well, the Labour leader in a TV interview at the start of the conference pledged to deliver one and a half million homes over the next parliament and to revise planning guidance to boost social housing. Asked how many homes were needed to be built each year to fix the housing crisis, Starmer said the party's aspiration over a five-year period would be to get a million and a half, which equates to 300,000 homes a year. And how does that compare to the government's targets? It actually equates to the same annual figure as the government's target of 300,000 homes by the mid-2020s. Although the government is often described as having dropped this target, including by senior Tories, Loving Up Secretary Michael Gove has said they're still committed to it. What the government has said, although it hasn't done it yet, is that it will weaken the influence of its standard method for calculating housing need on the numbers that end up in local plans. That 
was what Starmer was referring to when he said the government had taken the targets down and that Labour would put the targets back up to get building happening. We have to challenge the planning laws. We have to get real about where we're going to build. We have to work with developers to get there at speed, he said. Okay, and part of that house building programme is construction of new towns, right? Yes. Starmer also pledged in his main conference speech on the Tuesday that a Labour government would introduce the next generation of new towns, which he described as new communities with beautiful homes, green spaces, reliable transport link and bustling high streets. Labour did not say much about this on the record at the conference, but various media reports before and during the conference, reliability of which is unknown, suggested that a Labour government would run a six-month consultation to identify suitable sites for new towns, that sites near cities would be favoured, that towns would be developed by state-backed companies with compulsory purchase powers, and that the provision of supporting infrastructure would be hardwired into them. Earlier you mentioned that Starmer promised to revise planning guidance to boost social housing. Yes, he pledged to strengthen Section 106 planning gain agreements made between councils and developers to address the impact that a permitted scheme would have on a community, to ensure that that social housing is part of the development across the whole country. According to Starmer, under the current system, what happens is that developers say affordable housing delivery is viable when they seek the permission in the first place, and then later on say that the circumstances have changed and it's no longer viable. Shadow Housing Secretary Angela Rayner took up that theme, saying Labour would force developers to deliver on affordable housing and infrastructure promises. OK, and what about the Green Belt? What did Labour have to say about that? Starmer said Labour would permit the development of areas of low-quality greenbelt, which he referred to as greybelt. The Labour leader insisted this did not mean that the party would tear up the greenbelt. But he said, where there are clearly ridiculous uses of it, disused car parks, dreary wastelands, not a greenbelt but greybelt, sometimes within the city's boundaries, then this cannot be justified as a reason to hold our future back. Shadow Planning Minister Matthew Pennycook said at a fringe meeting, No one who is being honest with the public about how we meet housing demand across the country can get away with suggesting this can be done with Brownfield alone and without using parts of the Green Belt. We are going to have to release parts of the Green Belt. We may add to the Green Belt or enhance parts of the Green Belt, but we have to look at releasing parts of it. And he added... We are going to get back to doing it strategically and we'll make sure that where it is released, through a variety of mechanisms, it targets local need. He said that, at the moment, the planning system lacked mechanisms for doing it in a strategic way, but added, we are going to bite the bullet on that. We need to reintroduce elements of strategic planning. However, he also said, we also want to do much more to make a meaningful Brownfield first approach to development. We've got to do more to build in our cities in Brownfield sites. Okay, so still maintaining the promise of a Brownfield focus, but uh, very clearly saying that Greenbelt and Greenfield has a part to play in meeting housing need. 
Now, I know you're trying to cram an awful lot that was said at that conference into uh, into a very short period of time, and unfortunately, we're running out of time. But what about other headlines, other things that maybe people you know might want to be aware of and, uh, and can read about in more detail on planningresource.co.uk? Well, the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, told the conference that Labour would allow local authorities to hire 300 new planning officers. She also promised an urgent review of all national policy statements and a fast-track planning route for priority infrastructure projects. And Starmer also vowed that in government he would get tough with local opponents to new developments, including Labour MPs. Okay, well, that was a very interesting um, uh, commitment, I think, and uh, and that, I guess, will be the acid test of whether a Labour government could actually achieve the objectives like new towns and um, 300,000 homes a year. Okay, uh, many thanks, Toby. I'll leave you to keep exploring the, um, uh, the documents in the hopper and uh, look forward to seeing you in Room 106 again soon. You too. Okay, so now I need to find our senior reporter, Samantha Eckford, who was at the Conservative Party conference the week before. And I think over there, I believe I can see her. Hello, Sam. Hi, Richard. So, Sam, you spent the week before last at the Tory Party conference. The big news from the conference was the Prime Minister's confirmation that the northern leg of the HS2 rail project would be scrapped. So what exactly did he say? Yes, so this is the news that following weeks of speculation, the Prime Minister confirmed the scrapping of the northern leg of the HS2 rail project between Manchester and Birmingham. Sunak said that the economic case for the repeatedly delayed project had massively weakened with changes to business travel post-COVID. However, £36 billion of funding allocated to the project would instead be used to fund hundreds of other infrastructure projects and a 10,000 home redevelopment of Euston Station, he said. The cancellation of the project was widely criticised, including by some within the Conservative Party itself. So, for example, former Prime Minister David Cameron said that it was a lost once-in-a-generation opportunity, while Andy Street, who is the Conservative Mayor of the West Midlands, said he was incredibly disappointed by the decision. But he did stop short of resigning in protest, as some had expected. But interestingly, Labour haven't said they're going to reinstate the project. There's nothing yet, no. Moving on, what about Michael Gove, the levelling up secretary? What's, what were the messages he was um, communicating at the conference? So in his main stage address to the conference, Gove focused on Labour's proposals for the Greenbelt. He pledged to resist the proposals of the Labour Party and also the Lab Dems to build all over the Greenbelt and destroy precious natural habitats. His characterisation of their plans. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. He said, and I quote, that Labour must not be allowed to take our fields, meadows and forests away from our children and we will stop them. He separately told a Conservative Party fringe event that the government was planning to table a new bill to tackle the nutrient neutrality logjam at the first available opportunity. Obviously, this comes after its proposed amendment to the levelling up and regeneration bill designed to address the issue was voted down last month. At the same fringe event, he criticised the London Mayor's housing delivery record, saying that he had, and I quote, not been able or determined to deliver anything like the number of new homes that London needs. And he warned that he reserved the right to step in if the mayor did not do his job. Okay, so uh, criticising Labour's record and uh, trying to characterise their plans as being a a wholesale release of the Greenbelt. It does appear to be a slightly dividing line or, or an issue that the Conservative Party are trying to present as a dividing line in the lead up to the next general election. 
And uh, did ministers say anything else about their plans to boost house building? Yes. So in addition to a potential intervention in London, Housing Minister Rachel McLean said that she would continue to intervene in local authorities that were slow to produce local plans. So this comes after her rather fiery exchange with Spellthorn Borough Council last month, in which she directed it not to withdraw its strategy from examination. In response to my question about the number of plans that had been withdrawn or delayed in recent months, she said that it was not the case that the local authorities had stopped local plans on the back of the government's proposed changes to national planning policy and said that she absolutely will continue to intervene in authorities where necessary. Did she say what she felt was responsible for the delays and pauses on local plans that we've been rightly reporting? No, she said that there would be an, or there might be a number of reasons why authorities may be choosing to pause or delay work on their local plans and suggested that she thought that the number that had been delayed or paused or withdrawn had been over-exaggerated. Okay. Uh, anything else that she had to say that was interesting? She also said that um, the government was working on addressing the housing crisis via a new diversification strategy designed to help small builders. So she told a fringe event that this could involve looking at how public sector land could be made more easily available for small builders and said that the government was also looking at the acceleration of a much more permission in principle system for smaller sites that these small builders are likely to be using. She went on to say that the government was also looking at what Homes England are doing she said that what she'd heard is that they're not working very well with these small builders and that the government was working with the agency to change the way that some of their funds operate. Again, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because so much of this stuff, it sounds like ideas that the government have had before and they're kind of reheating now. No, it's the same issues, I guess, that keep popping up again and again. So yeah, we'll have to see whether or not any, any new proposals emerge. A couple more quick things. So she said that the government's current focus is on boosting the supply side rather than focusing on boosting demand through affordable housing schemes. So she told a fringe event that, and I quote, if we start incentivising and pumping more demand into the system with help to buy our first homes or through any of these schemes, that's great for those people, but there is a risk that it inflates the price and makes it more difficult for people elsewhere in the system. So this is suggesting a clear focus away from those first homes and those affordable homes programmes. Okay, that is interesting. And then the final point is that uh, in discussing the government's plans to redevelop Cambridge, which is a key part of its long-term plan for housing, which it announced in July, she said that we as a country are kidding ourselves if we think that we can meet the housing need of the nation just on brownfield land. So she said that the redevelopment of Cambridge could not be done just on brownfield sites, saying that you, you just can't expand Cambridge in this way without using using greenfield sites in some way. OK, well, to be fair, it's, it's good to have the, the planning minister making that point at a Conservative Party conference or, fra- frankly, at any political party conference where you sometimes wonder whether some MPs believe that actually the answer is to do everything on brownfield land. It, there doesn't seem to be a recognition that even with a high proportion of development taking place on brownfield land, there is an awful lot of greenfield development that would be needed to meet housing needs. Yes, certainly to, interesting to hear her talk about it in that way. Okay, anything else that you heard at the, at the conference that struck you? Yes, so 15-minute cities were yet again a key talking point. In his conference address, Transport Secretary Mark Harper said he would be calling time on the misuse of so-called 15-minute cities, which he described as sinister. He said the government would be investigating what options it had in its toolbox to restrict the overzealous use of traffic management measures, including cutting councils off from the DVLA database if they don't follow the rules. Meanwhile, former Prime Minister Liz Truss was back in the news after she called for the government to incentivise local areas to build more homes by giving them tax breaks if they're prepared to get rid of planning red tape. 
She said this would allow for up to 500,000 homes to be built each year. And then my final key takeaway is just the crucial role that housing and planning is likely to play over the coming months as we build up to the next general election. Most of the housing fringe events that I attended were packed and and really full. And there was a real sense from each panel that this is going to be a really key issue over the coming months and, and years. The housing minister herself said that housing policies would be a critical part of what the party can offer to the electorate and said that the issue was likely to determine the election in key marginals, where she said it was likely there would be very, very heated local battles. So um, a really big issue for all political parties in the lead up to the next election. Okay, well, uh, interesting. I guess we better prepare ourselves for a a lot of uh, heated debate around planning in the coming year. It sounds like this one is just going to continue to be an area where more and more is going to emerge over coming months. So I'll leave you here gleaning more information from your various sources. Thanks very much, Sam. See you soon. Okay, well, having heard what was going on at both the Labour and Conservative Party conferences, I now need to find Alex King, our reporter, who was at the Liberal Democrat conference last month and can fill us in on the key takeaways from that event. Now, I think he's in another part of the chamber. Over here, some of the press cuttings are already beginning to yellow, but I think I can see him over there in the corner. Ah, yes. Hello, Alex. Hi there. You were in Bournemouth for the Liberal Democrat conference uh, at the end of last month. What did you feel was the biggest takeaway from the conference? Well, the Lib Dems restated their commitment to a two-year-old pledge to build 380,000 homes a year, if in government, after party members rejected a bid from the leadership to scrap the target. A motion debated at the third day of the conference proposed removing the party's 2021 pledge to build 380,000 homes a year on the basis that national housing targets had failed to meet the UK's housing need. The party's housing spokesperson, Helen Morgan, who moved the motion, argued during the debate that national housing targets had utterly failed because developers built homes at a slow rate to keep local prices stable and, quote, water down their affordable homes commitments after planning permission has been granted on the basis of commercial viability. However, an amendment to the motion tabled by the Young Liberals, the party's youth and student organisation to restore the target, was passed, meaning the party recommitted to building 380,000 homes a year, if in government after all. So interesting. So to actually see the sort of youth wing of a political party prevent... I guess what seems to me, I mean, obviously I don't know what's inside the party leadership's minds, but it seems like they're worried about the political dangers of having a whacking great housing target on their manifesto and what that might allow their opponents at general election hustings to say about the implications about lots of development in in local areas if you vote for the Lib Dems. It seems to me that the senior members of the party are desperate to get that off the table in terms of election debates and the young members of the party are actually preventing that from happening. Yeah, exactly. I think it was a a move designed to give them a bit more political space. It revealed a a huge housing split within the party, running along ideological lines, first and foremost, centering on certain planning issues like local democracy, for example. So at a conference fringe event, Helen Morgan seemed to argue that national housing targets remove decision-making power from local planning authorities. 
She explained that national targets have been allocated on the basis of the rate that councils have built in the past. So, and I quote, councils that have built lots of houses in the past are told to carry on building lots of houses in the future. And the ones that have been NIMBYs ultimately are going to get away with not building them. Morgan argued that the point of not committing to a national target was to empower communities to build targets from the bottom up and to say to local planning authorities, what's your current level of need? It was really striking then to see Keith House, leader of a Liberal Democrat council, and sitting literally right next to Helen at this fringe event, argue that nationally set housing targets could in fact work when combined with democratic accountability. House argued that before 2010, we had national targets made up from regional targets that were democratically accountable through regional planning committees. This was, he said, before Gordon Brown tried to consolidate that and hand over the power to regional development agencies. But for a long time, House argued, there was a process which, although imperfect, provided some local engagement and accountability. What was really interesting, and as you've alluded to, was that the divide seemed generational as well as ideological, with many young members suggesting the proposal to do away with a nationally set housing target sent the wrong signal to young people. The party's young members wanted that because they felt that without a national housing target, there would be no commitment from local authorities to deliver the housing that young people needed. One young Liberal speaker at the conference said it was abundantly clear that young people in the party didn't support the move because housing had become so unaffordable for so many, pointing out that the average house price had risen to £290,000 in 2023. So it did seem to be a question of, of age as well as viewpoint. Definitely interesting to see that there are some voices in the party who, maybe not defending the uh, the government's standard method, but are defending the idea of having a housing target and interested in looking at the way in which democratically accountable strategic planning could be used to come up with those targets. Were there any other key takeaways from the conference? Yes, lots. The party's new housing and planning policy paper, which was passed under the motion that was amended to retain national housing targets, contained plenty of other proposals. For example, the Lib Dems committed to building 150,000 social homes over the course of the next parliament. They committed to introducing a use it or lose it planning permission for developers who failed to develop land that had been given full planning permission. The Liberal Democrats also pledged to commission 10 new garden cities in England. And finally, the party wanted to reform the Land Compensation Act, quote, to ensure land can be bought at a fair price and extend the party's proposed commercial landowner levy, a sort of substitute for business rates, which it pledged to introduce in 2018, to land with planning permission, but not yet built on. Okay, well, some interesting policies there. I suppose some people might say that with the Liberal Democrats incredibly unlikely to actually form the next government, how interesting is it to know what they think about planning? How much influence are are they ever likely to have? It's really difficult to say. Elections are really unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen in the next 12 months. But it is possible to imagine a scenario where either of the two established parties fail to win an outright majority and the Lib Dems win 30 or 40 seats. And in that scenario, it seems as if Labour or the Conservatives would have to go into coalition with the Lib Dems. So in a sense, the Lib Dems are potential kingmakers and suddenly they wield lots of influence and and what they want to get on the agenda matters a lot. The other point to make is the fact that the Lib Dems run lots of councils and so certainly at a local level they are or can be, particularly in the south of England, very influential. 
So I think it's important not to write them off entirely at this point in time. Okay. Well, thanks very much for that, Alex. And uh, as is the case with everybody else, uh, covering the emerging policies coming out of the different political parties, I suspect there's a lot more that's going to come out in coming months. So I will leave you here scouring around for uh, intelligence on what the Liberal Democrats are doing and look forward to seeing you in Room 106 again soon. Until next time. Right, well, following that tour of the various parties' political thinking in the run into uh, next year's general election, I think it's probably now time to get out before any more political intelligence emerges that we need to analyse. Great, that's another edition completed. We'll be back next week with another update on the past fortnight's biggest planning news stories. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Our thanks to producers Inga Marsden from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink, and thanks for listening. Thank you.